Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. A couple of things before we get started. Number one, just releasing the new app today is called Mindset Boosters. It gives you the ability to take charge of your mindset so you can decide how you want to feel and act in any situation. Want to be at your best? It's just a click away. It shows you how to take charge of your mindset so you become awesomer, baby. And today we have Lucas Dallavalle. Did I get it right? Yes, you got it right. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I hate uh, screwing up names. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So one of the things I actually named this, the title of this episode is Coming to America. So you came from Argentina to the U.S. How old were you when you arrived? 1996. and I was 15 years old. Nice. So what was the, was there a culture shock when you came from, uh, because out of all of uh, South America, Buenos Aires is probably like the New York of Latin America. So uh, was there a culture shock when you came to the U.S.? And if so, what was the shock? It was a, it was a bit of a culture shock in terms of, I would say, social uh, dealings and so forth. Like some of the basic things when it comes down to like, you know, social protocols. As a teenager, I had to form relationships again. And the codes for forming these relationships were a little bit different than the codes that you have that are innate in like a small town. I come from a very small town where all the families know each other. Oh, they yes. know their grandparents, they know their grandparents, grandparents and so forth. And that basically creates a different uh, dynamic when it comes down to knowing your friends. It's almost you like know. family, right? Correct, it's an extended family. And it's definitely like, you know, it is the whole thing where it takes a village that will be something that will be a, like, I would say a reality, more so there than here. And right. we're like, the differences will be like a little bit more unsupervised, a little bit more individualistic and so forth. And uh, in many different um, ways of seeing different families work in their, ha- in their homes. That was very interesting. Uh, it wasn't a shock. It was very like, um, I guess it was uh, edifying, I would say. At least. So before we get started in real estate, when you were a kid misbehaved, did you ever get a smack from your parents? <laughs> yes. I'm in Canada right now, and there's a comedian here called Russell Peters, and he's like, you know, if you're a kid of an immigrant, you get you misbehave, you get a backhander. If you're a Canadian or American, it's like, oh, no, we don't hit our children. <laughs> it's always, I actually got only hit once by my dad, and he caught me stealing from him. So he said, go get the hockey stick. It was a field hockey stick. Made me put my hands out and gave me one good whack when I was like maybe 10 or 11, and that was enough to correct the behavior. It's like, don't steal. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I actually, I actually heard that bit yesterday. I was listening to a podcast with another uh, Canadian and Indian writer and psychologist that was talking about emotions and the difference of emotions. And Russell Peters came up with that. And it was very interesting because we have these sort of things and we think of them as normal. Of course, you know, beating, like you're saying, it's like, okay, the, the hands thing, this not abuse, of course, right? It's like- they're, No, they're, it's, it's the intent. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like- and it's a, it's a big cultural difference when you see over here and the dynamics between the parents. I sometimes I would be like, my mouth would be dropped. And I'm like, you spoke to your parents that way? Like, what's going on? If I did that, <laughs> I'd, be, uh, I'd be killed. Uh, when I first came to America, 
uh, I was trying to figure out why is it so violent compared to Canada? And so I was asking people and uh, I was on a subway stop in uh, San Francisco and this uh, one guy waiting with me, he was an African-American guy. And I said, you know, hey, I just arrived in America. Why is it so violent here? He says, when I was a kid growing up and I did something wrong, the nearest adult came up to me and smacked me on the back of the head. By the time I got home, she had a phone call. I got a beating from her. And when dad came home, forget about it. He said, yeah. but then they had like a, a lot of people being incarcerated in his community. So the dads weren't there. And he said, it just kind of destroyed the community in a significant way. But we're here to talk about communities and real estate. So you started your real estate business about 10 years ago? About 10 years ago, correct. Yes. So you started you know, as a newbie realtor. What was your idea of real estate and when did the reality set in? Because there's often the disconnect between, I think it'll be like this and it turns out being different. How is it different than what you thought it would be? I happen to approach it uh, with a very practical approach. The one thing that happens is that I have a background looking at property with, from a family uh, standpoint. So my, my father- Family business? Uh, yeah, my father, for example, like he told me as soon as we arrived, as soon as we arrived in, uh, and uh, we joined him over here in the States in 1996, we saw something that was, uh, that was basically uh, unprecedented in America. Mm -hmm. We saw the doubling and the tripling of the prices, home prices, mm -hmm. starting in 96, 97. And then it was crazy. Every year, it's like, you know, you had a $25,000 lot that was worth $50,000 in six months, and then $75,000 in eight months and so forth and so on. And this stuff basically uh, gave me a little bit of an introduction into that and making like uh, some of the real estate decisions with the family and helping the family do research and so forth. So I had like a bit of an introduction into this, uh, this thing. So I came in with a very practical approach. I came in to basically push numbers, learn, and become an educator because I have an education background. I taught for six years before I became a real estate agent. Who did you teach? I was teaching high school and I was teaching basically in public school for two years. Uh, and then I moved to private school for four years. Aren't so you I fancy? So, you know, I know uh, a lot of CEOs, especially women that are quite successful that were elementary school teachers. I see. And I said, well, how does this skill differ than that? She goes, pretty much it's the same thing. What I learned about handling little kids and now executives around my board table, it's pretty much the same. So yeah, being a teacher really gives you a strong skill set to how to handle people, how to educate people, how to help people that are not getting it, get it. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the areas where you can be great at real estate and business. And the other area, surprisingly, is people that are waiters, waitresses, and uh, barkeeps, because they know the, the human dynamics of how to navigate people when they're like happy, sad, drunk, and can lead to success because it's a people business, right? Correct. And I think that the fastest, um, the fastest way to establish a, a solid relationship based on trust and a lot of the times based on the confidence of the exchange comes from these characters that are dealing with people day in and day out. By the minute you get to meet new faces, you have to establish that you have to sit like, you know, connote and convey a certain level of trust with the person. Okay. They have my order, they have my interest at hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> and even though it is in a very minimal scale, but it does translate, as you say, it does translate the same way that as a teacher communicates the same concept two or three, three times, breaks it down to the level that it's like, okay, we go from a very simple standpoint to like a little bit more with nuance. And then yes. you have the layer and more complex approach, how things, like the ramifications of things and so forth. And I always love that. 
Uh, and I always love breaking these things down, especially with new agents that I'm training. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we basically, in our team, we try to train agents that remain in the business. Um, and basically our approach tends to be basically one that is like pedagogical a lot of the times. We do a lot of like sh shadowing and so forth. We do a lot of like uh, role playing sometimes. We nice. have like some, like we, and these are things that come basically from the classroom a lot of the times. And I'm applying all those things that I learned in the classrooms of America and uh, into, into our business or like boiler room per se. <laughs> and actually, as you were saying that, I was had this uh, movie reel running in my head like a comedy skit, doing the role play. Yes. <laughs> what would you do if somebody slapped you like this? Bam! It's like, what? Sorry, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> so you have a partner right now and you guys have a team. So tell me about your partner. Uh, who's your partner? My partner is Mark Benson. We've been doing business for about together for about eight years of my 10 years. He's, uh, he has an extra two years, no, two and a half years about in the business. So he's like 12, 13 years uh, into the So business. an extra two and a half years of bad habits that you're correcting. I like that. Yes. So <laughs> but what's the relationship like? Like oftentimes you get someone that's a very kind of visionary person and the other person's detailed. So kind of what's your role in the partnership and what's his role? Oh, correct. Yeah, that's one of the things. I, I like a structure. I like, um, I like a lot of the things that basically, you know, I have pre-formatted emails. I have like you know, um, spreadsheets and things Process like that. Guy. Yeah, and he's more of like the human element. He's a little bit more, you know, he shoots from the hip sort of thing. He's a little bit more improvisational and so forth. So it does bring a lot of different elements together that make up a team that has been successful for the past eight years. Which is nice because oftentimes people look for people like themselves and the last thing you need is someone like you. You need someone that has the same values as you, but has their own gifts. And when my wife and I were working together, I was the dreamer. Hey, let's go do that. How long will it take? Two weeks. We can do it. My wife's like, are you nuts? <laughs> it's not gonna be... So she was like the planner and build. I would leap and she would build the bridges to make sure I had somewhere to land. So that's brilliant. So how many agents are in your team right now? Right now, basically, due to the pandemic, we had a lot of different uh, people that are moving around. They're trying new mm -hmm. things. Some of the new agents that we have, we have about four right now that are active. Nice. Um, and then we had a, the biggest the team has gotten, I would say, is 14 people uh, at the height. And we oscillate between, I would say, four and eight people now, depending on how they feel where they want to go. There's a lot of people nice. that I would say there are many reasons why uh, an agent leaves, um, but there's like a very few set of characters that makes an agent remain in the business. Um, and then the numbers are very harsh when you look at, you know, the first year, you know, 80% get knocked off the list. Yeah. You know, so basically that's one of the dynamics that we're dealing. So that's why it fluctuates, you know, but usually around, like I would say four, Four to six is usually the very average when we're doing well and a lot of people are active and they want to become part of the business. Eight is usually the, the amount that we that we keep in our team. I was working with a team and one of the things we ended up doing with the team was this, is to get the primary leader and figure out what his purpose in life was. And we mapped that to be the mission of the team. So he becomes the poster child and we've done it with like partners too. Then all of a sudden, both people can be authentic. It's not like, our mission is to do da, 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 something artificial. It's more like, this is what's in my heart. Then we get the values around work and make those the values for the team. And then we get the criteria that you use to validate you're on track with your values. And we reward the agents when they're actually performing in that way. And then for these guys, 
their real motif was we're hunters. So when we actually gelled the team together, everybody got an arrow. And it was just like, uh, so they're really into picking up the phone and making the calls, doing together. And they had a call day about a month and a half ago where it was like 10 of them. And they did a thousand conversations in one day. Wow. And it was like, uh, a, they don't do it all the time, but this was like one that's like, we're going to do this. And they ended up generating just a ton of business, but that was their like, we're hunters. We go out and make it happen. And it's like, when you do that, you get people that are not pounding on your door. I want to be part of that team because that's my tribe. And so it's all human behavior and human dynamics. Indeed, indeed. And I couldn't agree more. I think it's, uh, it's amazing when you have the vision and when you're able to convey it to your team and they're excited about it. For example, like recently, like some of the new agents that I, that, that we've been, we've been working with, I noticed that they're hungry for activity. They're hungry, you know, basically to get out there. A lot of the times what these agents uh, are exposed to is a lot of rental business because yes. turn around. Or in New York, yeah. Yeah, and it's just moving constantly. You know, right now we have a dip in the, in the sales business and so forth, but there are still opportunities to exploit. There's still basically uh, leads to follow and so forth. So one of the things that happens is that I like to move some of my agents to more of a sales team, uh, yes. sales-oriented uh, agent to become a little bit more profitable in that sense and to move a little bit, maybe like not as much uh, volume in the beginning as rentals do, but basically getting your foot wet uh, or your foot into the door rather uh, of the sales and what, what it takes to become a sales agent. So a lot of the times we have this sort of uh, focus where we're basically, yes, we're doing rentals and so forth, but we're trying to always build and the team has a concentration towards sales. So basically, that's one of the things that vision in order to basically transition into solely sales that will be ideal. But it's, it's basically, it takes a whole team to, oh, yeah. to be put together and be proactive. And the proactive members, as you mentioned, are the ones that get rewarded a lot of the time by getting the listings, by getting extra commission, by getting extra percentages, maybe extra duties, extra responsibilities as well. And I think it empowers all the agents to become basically, while they're working to build their own business per se individually, they're working in unison and using all the tools available to the team. That's the way to do it is, you know, if you can gel the team together in that way, it does something really amazing. Because at the end of the day, no grunt in the army gives a shit about the general. He's way off in the future. Who cares about him? But they'll do heroic things for each other. I mean, like risk their lives. And if you can build a team around that where we support each other, then they'll go the extra mile happily without complaint. And I think that's ultimately what I kind of advise clients to do is I want you to be unemployed in a year. And by that, I mean, you don't have to be the rah-rah person. Let's go do this. If you can get the, infuse that into the team, they're self-regulating and self-motivated, then you got something magical. Yes, so I'm noticing you're sipping that. That's a very kind of a Latin America kind of concoction with a long straw. What are you drinking? <laughs> that's mate. Mate is an autochthonous drink of South America. Yep. And, it's, uh, and it's drank throughout like a couple of different countries and also uh, has some place in Yemen and some Middle Eastern countries and so forth. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, what we drink and how we drink. So when the Arabs basically uh, controlled Venice, like way back centuries ago, then they got driven out by the Crusaders and there was this dark powder left behind. And one of the people there was like, wait a minute. Yeah. This is, I know what that is. That's coffee because it wasn't a big drink in the Western world at that point. So he opened up a coffee house and initially it was like, you know, that's an Islamic drink. We don't want to drink it till they tasted it. And he would basically have newspapers. He would come have a coffee, read a newspaper in like, you know, 900 AD. They had Starbucks, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they did. And it's amazing because 
this was the competition for coffee. Interesting. It was, it was introduced to Europe as well and to the Middle East in order to compete against the coffee, the new commodity. And this wow. also has a caffeine content and so forth. It stimulates conversation. It's the same. It has the same effects. As same coffee. idea. I love it. Yeah. And it was amazing because the, uh, I believe it was Franciscans. Franciscan ordered basically discovered it, well, not discovered it, but like, you know, they came upon it, right? Yes. The indigenous people of the Guarani region in Entre Rios and um, uh, Uruguay area, like uh, I would say like the littoral area, they call it, yep. in Northeast uh, Argentina. In Northeast Argentina, it's subtropical and this grows over there and it's cured and it's used by different indigenous people as well as the people from there. And it has been taken over. In some countries, it didn't take over in Europe. The straw, I believe the straw was a problem and the fact yeah. that you had to refill it and so forth. It was a little bit cumbersome. And coffee is just a cup. You simply, you put it down, that's it, you move on. You never know. Uh, it could have its day. It could just come in and all it takes is one like uh, the uh, the new king of England. If he started drinking that, who knows? It could be a trend everywhere. Yes, indeed. I think the trend was brought on by some California uh, artists. I think Moby... Uh, started doing this in the early 2000s. It started, really? like, yeah, and it started working with small farmers and like direct uh, purchasing with the farmers and so forth. And that like blew it up. And then you had, uh, and then I remember walking in Prospect Park in Brooklyn and seeing a coffee shop that had the option to have the mate and you have a disposable straw that they would give you with it and so forth. Nice. I'm like, wow, this is bananas. <laughs> I was watching this show called Mozart in the Jungle. It was like an Amazon uh, TV show. Uh -huh. And the conductor of this uh, orchestra is from Argentina. And of course, he would drink that all the time and expect his assistant to fill it up all day long. <laughs> it's like your mom. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. That's what she expects as well over there in Argentina. <laughs> so as a leader of your team, what's one area you're working on? Like your skill set as a leader, as a human being, as an agent, like where do you find that there's a gap in your skill set that you're trying to perfect right now? If I had a magic wand, which I do, and I could wave this wand, what's the one change you want to make you a better leader? The one change that I would like to make me a better leader? Better looking, I can't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> You're about to hang up. I'm hanging up from this podcast. That's it. I've been insulted enough. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. I mean, it's... Um, a I've been refining a lot of my communication skills with my, uh, and I think that there's always a, there was always room for progress there. That um, hmm, I wish I had I had this question before because yeah. it, it took me a little bit of thought with this. Because um, there's always a place there, right, to improve. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and I'm looking at different things, and I would say maybe sometimes I would like to be um, more flexible, and I, you know, I think I would like to be open to more uh, uh, constructive criticism a lot of times when it comes down yeah. to uh, some of the decisions and so forth. To be open, uh, to be more open, and to be, um, I would say, uh, and to continue working, I guess, in my communication skills uh, with the team. That would be something that I would like to always improve on. And I think even though I think I, I have a pretty good grasp, there's always room for improvement. Um, it's being human. It's like uh, what, what really drives me crazy is when you see people that have such potential. It's like, no, I got it. Everything I need to learn, I already know. And people that are like masters at their craft, even at the top of their game, they're always learning, always looking for new nuances because it just keeps you motivated and hungry and always improving. And as soon as you stop learning, I think you start dying. Yes, yes. And that is something that I believe as well. And, uh, and I think that it comes with this sort of thing that sometimes it's like, 
uh, sticking to structure a little bit without realizing that it's like, okay, you're doing it too much. Now just let the other person come in, bring in this sort of like a level of influence, see if it works, try it out. You know what I mean? And if it doesn't work, then compare and contrast and see where you could meet somewhere in between. And that's some, that's a learning experience that I think I'm continually trying to work on. Brilliant. So tell me what brings you joy in your life? What brings you happiness? Freedom. Freedom. Mm -hmm. the freedom that I have in this business, I think it brings me a lot of happiness as well. And nice. being, uh, being a self-starter, uh, being in charge of my schedule, in charge of my responsibilities and so forth, brings me a lot of uh, a lot of pride in the efforts and remaining in this business and continually making uh, making positive moves towards the longevity uh, as well reassures me of my efforts. And I think that that brings a lot of like professional happiness. Personal happiness, I like peace. I like peace. Nice. I like people coming together. I like community. You know, these are the things that make me happy. A community, a sense of community makes me happy on a personal level, you know, and then I build that up within our team as well as, uh, you know, within the relationships that we form around the city and around the different boroughs and so forth. And I'm hoping to basically even tap into areas like Vermont and different uh, other states as well to form basically relationships. And I'm looking into some of that stuff and expanding a little bit of what this, I would say, professional sense of happiness and outreach and expansion of the business and as well incorporate that into my personal life as well. Build oh, those brilliant. What's one mind hack? What's one tip you would give people watching and hearing this interview that would allow them to be more productive or happier or sexier or sleep better? Like what's the one tip you'd like to share with the world? Hmm. The mind hack, active listening. What was that? Active listening. That was, that was a joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of the times it's like I I I I try these little tricks with my uh when we're doing role playing and so forth. Yes. And I you know, and I say little things and I put little nuances in there and I try to see if they pick it up in a way. And it's like, well, remember that I said such and such. Like, why are you asking me this? Or why are you, you know, because they're like yeah. really not not really listening to the person that is in front of them and putting their full attention into that. That's like a mind hack that I think a lot of people sort of overlook because we're just sort of in the hustle bustle. Oh yeah. Up and down. Listening, you know. I do that. I got that. It's like, no, you yeah, don't. Yeah. So here's a tip for the people watching uh, on how to be uh, a better listener. Watch the person's lips. I see. Because when you do that, all of a sudden you start paying attention to what they're saying. Because part of the problem is that your mind has, uh, your brain has 86 billion neurons and only like a small percentage of that horsepower is focused on listening. That means the rest of the mind is doing other stuff. But when you force someone to look at their lips as they're talking, like if you do that now when I'm talking, it gives your mind something to do. And it also connects you with what I'm saying. And that's a simple little uh, trick to be a better listener. That's a great trick. That's a great trick. Exactly. Because I mean, we are mostly visual animals. And a lot of the times we oh, get yeah. lost in our musings about the different uh, visual sensory data that is coming in. And we sort of like, the mouth becomes like some sort of like thing where it's just sort of sometimes, you know, it's like if you have this it, it's severe, you know, it just sort of like just starts moving until you focus on it. Yeah. Know, right, let me just zero in. And That's one of the things that people lost, which we realized we weren't hearing as well as we could, is because people had a mask on and you couldn't see the lips. And it just made it harder. So we did it unconsciously and it's kind of in the background. But also when you lost sight of the lips, it was like, what did you say? Huh? With the pandemic? So and you're looking for and you're looking for emotional inflection and so forth in yeah. the eyes. And then all of a sudden, if there is a disconnect with the actual voice, 
it's interesting that this also I noticed this thing happening a lot. It, it, like and it's uh, and it's a very interesting the way that the mind works with that. Yeah, and if you get good at it, you can say, you know, we're looking really looking for a house in uh, in Queens, and it's like, wait a minute. There was a hiccup on when you said Queens. Could you back up a bit? Like, uh, have you lived in Queens before? Oh, we had a terrible experience. And sometimes just listening to the tonality and the change. And you can also see the tightness of the skin. Yeah. Like sometimes they're talking, everything's fine. All of a sudden they go kind of rigid. It's like, yeah, there's something going on there. So last question, Lucas. Uh, what's a question I should have asked you that I did not? Um. No, you asked me about the longevity. No, I mean, it's like, I think that this is very exciting. I don't know why, but it's like you asked all the great questions about um, uh, coming here, uh, being faced with the different cultural uh, uh, cultural differences and so forth, building up the team, the things that make up, like some of the things that have been effective in the team, some of the things that need to work on the team as well. I think that, no, you asked all the right questions and I can't nice. come up with like, uh, with, with, with another one right now. It's like, you know, um, what's your favorite color? But <laughs> <laughs> the one I always ask is, you know, Umar, uh, do your good looks get in the way of you being taken seriously? Well, actually, uh, yes, they do. <laughs> so lies. Lucas, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, we're going to chat after we kind of go off the air so we can just uh, round this out. To Once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you as well. Thank you, Umar. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 